Welcome to Smart Healthcare Safety from ECRI Institute, where we have real conversations about real safety issues in healthcare. I'm your host, Paul Anderson. More than 5,000 members across all care settings rely on us as an independent, trusted authority to improve the safety, quality, and cost-effectiveness of patient care. You can learn more about our unique capabilities to improve outcomes at www.ecri.org. Today, we're answering some common questions we get from members of ECRI Institute programs regarding medical record maintenance. In the world of risk management, we often talk about what providers should document when they care for patients, like details of the patient's vital signs, as well as things they should avoid, like blaming another provider for a patient's adverse outcome. But there's another aspect to this issue, especially in electronic health records, and that involves steps providers and the organization need to take to protect the integrity of individual records and EHR systems as a whole. To get us started, if I could ask our guest to please introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Jennifer Comerford. I'm a risk and patient safety analyst here at ECRI Institute. So, Jennifer, today we're talking about what I've been calling medical record maintenance or completion, and we've talked about this a little bit off-air. So maybe can you summarize the kind of issues that we're seeing and that we're talking about? Sure, absolutely. So we're talking about, I would say, foremost, timely documentation through the entire cycle, not just the actual writing of a clinical note but what happens to it when the content is finished. So we're talking about signing notes, locking notes. In particular, we're going to get into the issue of locking notes and what happens when you have unlocked notes in some detail. And I would say overall, we want to really wrap up by looking at an organizational approach, policies, procedures, audits, monitoring, to make sure that these things happen timely in both usual and unusual circumstances. So I'm not a clinician, and I imagine that at least some of our listeners are not either. So let's maybe start with some basic definitions. You mentioned two activities that need to happen in a note. One of those was signing, and one of those is locking the note. So maybe can we start by defining what are those two activities? What is a provider actually doing when they do those things? Sure. So my clinical background is in occupational therapy, and I'm answering from that perspective. But these things are pretty standard across EHRs. So first, a signature is when the provider is finished writing the note. The note typically involves checking a box in the EHR or some functionality like that. And when that note is, quote, signed, it is finished, and yet it could still be changed without any additional steps being taken, such as an amendment or an addendum. Okay. And then locked? Right. So locking is what protects documentation from any untracked, accidental, or unauthorized changes. Even the author of the note would need to make an amendment or an addendum in order to change the content in any way. I sort of take it from the distinction we're drawing between signing and locking that it's not automatic that these steps take place either immediately sequentially or at the same time. Do I understand right that there are two different processes that could happen completely separate from each other? Overall, yes. I would say there are lots of situations in which they do happen rapid fire in short order, but certainly not always. And I think particularly with questions that we have been getting from readers and listeners, I think that's where a lot of people are getting hung up, is gaps in time between the first and the second step. 
So why, and I know we'll get into some specific details of questions, but why might a provider sign a note but not lock it? Sure. I think there can be some legitimate reasons and some good intentions behind doing that. Thinking back to my own clinical practice, I would say it almost always involved waiting for a return phone call. I had treated my patient. I had called their physician or a family member and left a message with a specific question, concern, requesting a call back. And I had some optimism that before I had completed my day's work, I would have a conclusion and that I would be able to wrap it all up nicely within that same documentation. You know, I would add a lot of that context, not all of it, but a lot of that context for me was in home care. So Hmm. I'd be in the field and my notes would not automatically be uploaded into the system until I either reached my home or the office, at which point I would get onto Wi-Fi and upload. So sort of from that perspective, they were only living in the laptop for a temporary period anyway. Gotcha. Okay. I would also say, though, that because of that, that was a double-edged sword. Because in my management role, which was also in home care, and we'll talk about this a little more in a bit, absolutely. It became easy to see that it was a very easy, benign, not poorly intentioned thing to do to forget to go back and lock notes. So to finish that thought, I definitely also would say that I saw it as a manager and I was familiar with the feeling myself as a clinician. Sometimes people don't want to lock a note because they know there's going to be more and they don't want to have to take the time or make the extra steps involved in creating an addendum. There are some legitimate reasons then, I think, that make everything you said make sense of why a note might be signed but not locked in this scenario. But obviously, that opens up an organization or presumably an individual provider to some risks as well, also some patient safety risks. What are some of those things that could happen if an organization or an individual provider isn't on top of this? Absolutely. There really are a number of fairly broad quality and compliance risks. I think big picture, if it comes to anyone's attention for any reason, we'll talk about some specifics in a minute, that documentation is not completed or there's been a large time gap before completion of documentation, it really does just beg the question, why? And the immediate next question is, How confident can we be in the quality and the accuracy of this documentation? How much do you remember about what you were doing at work three days ago? Right. And as as we said a minute ago, records that are quote unquote unlocked are vulnerable to untracked, accidental, or unauthorized changes. So I think that our listeners understand on the face of that, certainly the providers out there don't want someone altering their documentation. We are all patients at one time or another. We want to know that our medical record reflects everything that our provider put into it and nothing that our provider did not put into it. The medical record is the foremost means of communication regarding the patient's care. So we need to avoid anything that could compromise its integrity. And really, 
to get down to some very nitty gritty practical specifics. They matter greatly. Think about billing. Think about audits, surveys, claims, and lawsuits. Those are all situations in which you would not want an outside party saying, hmm, they've got big time lapses in their documentation. Or here I am on site for a survey and they've got a lot of really old unlocked notes. Do they even know they have this problem? Well, and, and you know, to your example earlier about the presence of unlocked notes calling into question how confident can we be in the documentation that is there, you know, I'm sort of projecting that forward to the point where, say, I'm a plaintiff attorney and I've got mm-hmm. a provider in a malpractice lawsuit and I'm imagining if I could pull up and say, boy, you've got all these clinical notes, but they're never locked or they're not consistently locked. And, you know, what really was going on? I mean, is that the kind mm-hmm. of scenario like that's sort of your doomsday? Absolutely. So recently, and part of the reason we're even sitting down today to talk about this is that we've gotten sort of a a spate of questions from folks in the field about some very specific examples of scenarios where they're concerned with different aspects of the kind of issues we just laid out. And I thought it might be useful to explore a couple of those, partly because I think, you know, if they're asking questions like this, there are probably lots of other folks who have similar scenarios and questions. But before we get into it, I do want to preface all of this, and I think we'll both say versions of this as we go on but that anytime we're answering user questions, we're providing, I'll say, risk management guidance. We are not providing legal advice. So folks should definitely talk to their own legal counsel when they're looking for legal advice, especially as it relates to your specific jurisdiction, your specific scenarios and fact situations. We're going to guide you in what seems to make sense as risk management best practice. Neither of us are attorneys. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if we were, we're not your attorneys. So we want to make sure that you talk to your own legal counsel as we go forward. So with that all said, one of the questions that we got was from a, a situation where a provider left an organization, was no longer employed or practicing there, and left behind a bunch of unlocked notes. And in the question for us, the organization was looking for guidance as to what to do next. So maybe if you could talk about what are some of the general sort of ideas that we hit on. Sure. So we referred this requester to the American Health Information Management Association, or AHIMA. They've got a model policy on electronic signatures that addresses final record completion in the event of unsigned documentation. So that model policy talks in some detail about options that include finding qualified alternate signers, and also about using explanatory documentation in the event that a note must remain unsigned. So I I think we'll hit on this a few more times again, really these two concepts of a qualified alternate signer, so someone with an appropriate clinical designation who also has familiarity with the patient and their case Hmm. could be a legitimate alternate signer. We won't always have that. And in that case, there are steps that can be taken to use some explanatory documentation in the event that, into perpetuity, a note must remain unsigned. You know, Jennifer, I, in that scenario, I could see a situation where if I'm a uh, plaintiff's attorney and we're in litigation, and I could point to those gaps in the medical record and really try to challenge the credibility of all of the documentation just because of those gaps. Absolutely. I agree. I am also not an attorney. But the mere concept of something being left incomplete, I think, gives an immediate concern regarding quality and integrity. 
certainly as a clinical manager, not even necessarily from the perspective of of our topic today of medical record, the completeness. But if I had another reason to be auditing a chart and it came to my attention that records were incomplete, it just to me added to the flavor of, I don't know that our quality looks best here. And if anyone from the outside ever has occasion to look, I think you just feel vulnerable about that. Sure. So, for example, in that scenario, I don't think this was the scenario with this particular organization, but let me sort of give you a, for instance, you know, I'm a small organization, this provider has left, I don't have another clinical person who has familiarity with these patients. What I think you're suggesting is that we might have another person to be defined by the organization. You know, we talked about the idea of explanatory documentation. So, I mean, is that as simple as some designated person from the organization literally writing something like, you know, provider X no longer employed by our organization, note locked such and such a date and time. That is correct. Or perhaps depending on circumstances, you know, note left unsigned. Provider has left organization. There is not a qualified alternate signer. And I think both of these options are something that our listeners will want to take a deliberate and defined organizational approach to. It's not the kind of thing where I could say this is a definite right. Some of the definite wrongs are a little bit easier to say. What I do feel from a matter of good compliance practice is we encounter problems. I think we're going to talk about another inquiry that we had recently where someone had a similar problem, but to a greater extent. Sometimes these things do happen. And certainly the answer is not to bury one's head in the sand and hope it goes away. But sometimes really we're all faced with dilemmas and imperfect answers. And I think in that situation, you want to bring the facts to light, to leadership, have a comprehensive discussion of the best alternatives in front of you, looking at risks and benefits of each, and then make a decision, define that decision, and put it into place going forward. So let's get into that second scenario that you described. And it really was remarkable, you know, being in the building here and seeing both of these scenarios come into us, what, in 24 hours? Something Something like like that. that. You know, it was was kind of uh, interesting. So this scenario, there was an organization, they were doing an audit of their records. So I think first we want to step back and say, you know, good for them for doing an Mm -hmm. audit, right? They're being proactive. And anyway, during this audit, they found unlocked notes from multiple providers dating back several years. So before we talk about sort of the recommendations that we gave them, you mentioned a moment ago some definite wrongs, some things we definitely don't want to do. Maybe we could talk about a couple of those first. For instance, one option that, you know, in that scenario, a provider or an organization could do is just leave the notes alone and not lock them. I think that falls in my mind in the category of something we probably see as a little bit too risky. So why? Right. Remember that unlocked notes will be viewed as incomplete. And that notwithstanding the electronic trail aspect of that, just the possibility that documentation could be altered is risky. It's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And again, if the documentation is ever needed for a claim, a lawsuit, an audit, a survey, it's an immediate red flag. You know, so the next option is if we're going to lock all those notes, you get into questions of who would do so. And one question that comes up is, is there any risk to having a provider sign and or lock a note that they didn't create for a patient they didn't see? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think that most providers ask to do that 
would probably immediately take a pause and be very uncomfortable to do so for the just sort of very fundamental reasons of professional ethics Mm -hmm. and not far behind potential for liability on their own license and professional standing. I mean, really, just no one, no one has any business signing a note for an encounter that they weren't a part of. Now, I, I am not talking in this scenario about legitimate and necessary co-signatures or counter-signatures. Sure. For residents, for example, things like that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about should anyone ask a provider to sign another provider's notes from two years prior? No, we, that's hard to endorse. We did talk about the concept of a qualified alternate signer. I think of my own personal situation in the primary care practice that I visit. I suspect that if my primary care physician was suddenly unavailable and there was a similar issue, I suspect that the nurse practitioner he collaborates with would probably be comfortable to sign a note regarding my treatment because I see both of them. I have relationship with both of them. So that might work. Sure. Okay. So given all that, what did we ultimately end up recommending for this person? So this person had a sincere desire to make the situation as right as possible. And also, I think, was realistic about resource constraints, given the extent of the problem that they discovered. And I would say, quick side note, and then we'll get to the meat of the recommendations. I think this is a bit of a theme that we discern when answering inquiries. Paul, you mentioned, yes, you did an audit. That's good. Absolutely. We've had similar questions, nothing to do with locking notes, but for instance, about a backlog in referrals or mm-hmm. a backlog in test results. And, and so I, I think that that's something that our members encounter. The stronger their practices become with auditing and monitoring, the more they're actually finding. And it oftentimes is something from before they were even in the employee of the organization. And so they find themselves saying, now what? Mm-hmm. So again, it's imperfect, but I think good compliance is to be transparent within the organization. We found something wrong. We've made a deliberate decision about how to fix it, and we've defined what we're going to do going forward. All of that being better than pretending it's not there. Exactly. Right. (laughs) Exactly. So that being said, we made a few recommendations to this individual, and we absolutely did encourage them, remind them and encourage them that their local legal counsel is always the very best resource if they feel uncertain of what will serve the organization best going forward. Just your own local counsel knows things about your jurisdiction and your organization that no one else can know. So we let this person know that organizations often have something along the lines of a medical record assistant. That's a a more typical title for this person. That person is someone who can enter that explanatory documentation. Mm -hmm. So finding a way to have it not be the chief medical officer, for example, who is entering the same statement on hundreds of records. But again, that statement would be defined and agreed by leadership. This note is being locked by XYZ on this date for this reason. Another option that we put forth is that the organization's 
Quality Committee could report to the board and document the event, the event being that a large quantity of notes from a period many years back were determined to be unlocked. Document that event in board minutes, and there could be a decision to leave those notes unsigned or unlocked. Again, we said there are some cases in which there is not an appropriate person to sign. And certainly more time does not tend to make that easier (laughs) to mitigate. So you would explain that any attempts to change the documentation left unsigned would be detected in the EHR and that other providers were not available or comfortable to sign for patients who were not their own. Certainly, along with that, you would want to begin a quality initiative to monitor for incomplete records and to report findings to the board on a very regular basis until compliance is achieved and certainly ongoing to make sure that compliance is maintained. And along those same lines, if it does not already, you would want to make sure that the EHR policy includes that that designee would concurrently check whether it's all or a sample regarding the signing, locking, completion of notes. Again, so really just documenting those rationales, carving out a way in policy and procedure to say, yes, sometimes there is a problem and we have a way to find a problem and then address that problem to the very best extent. And presumably try to put something in place so we don't have that specific problem again. Yes, the extent of a large quantity of notes over a long period of time, right? right, You would Ideally, that would never happen. If it happens once, that should absolutely be the cue that measures need to be put into place. Jennifer, you know, we've gotten other questions about how to handle scenarios where providers leave an organization, including, for example, ensuring follow-up and management of a patient's testing and, and ongoing care. So what else can we add to those kind of questions and scenarios? Sure. So that's a very important topic. In some ways, it gets close to beyond our scope today, but there's definite relation to this whole concept of medical record maintenance and completion. So very briefly to the clinical aspect of a provider leaving the organization, it's very important to notify patients of the provider's departure in accordance with applicable guidance and requirements, such as from state medical boards. So this is definitely one of those topics where it matters where you are. State medical boards have some pretty defined guidance on these topics, and you would want to consult. You'd also want to work with your IT vendor to ensure that you've properly set up coverage and transition for things like messages, outstanding orders and test results, medication refills, and the like. You'll also, of course, need a plan to terminate IT access timely, but not before all outstanding medical records are completed and locked. And I think that's something that, depending on the organization, could really even get toward the human resources function of what are the standard procedures for when someone leaves the organization. I'd say here, too, there's the concept of leaving the organization because someone is no longer going to be employed. But don't forget about leaves of absence or mm. even even simply vacations. I think that's one of those things where it absolutely is best practice 
that before someone signs off on a planned vacation, their documentation needs to be finished. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So I mean, let's move a little bit from responding to these scenarios that have come in from our members, and maybe let's think about some more proactive steps. What are some processes or policies that organizations just generally should have in place as part of their routines to try to stop from getting into these situations in the first place? Absolutely. And this is where I think you can't be without a well-written policy and procedure. And, you know, Paul, we've talked about policies and procedures a lot of times in different contexts. The policy and procedure manual is not supposed to sit gathering dust. It's supposed to help people do their job to the appropriate standard. So you need a policy and procedure for medical record completion. It should have timeframes for completion and defined procedures in case of the need to retire another provider's records, as we've been talking about today. Organizations need to decide and define how to handle incomplete medical records or situations in which the provider who entered the note is not available to complete it. That goes back to what I was saying earlier. Sometimes things do go wrong. Be transparent, be accountable, develop an approach, define it. That way, if the very best scenario is that unfortunately, X number of notes will remain unsigned forever, if they ever show up in a survey, you at least would be able to pull out your policy and procedure and say, this is how we dealt with it to the best extent possible. Remembering again that you've got that qualified alternate signer option in some cases, and if not, you want to have explanatory language so that it's at least acknowledged that documentation is not complete. And I'd like to talk too about, I would imagine that policy and procedure would make a mention of an EHR functionality, something along the lines of, I myself am accustomed to hearing it called the unlocked profile report. That is absolutely a common EHR function that you can run a report, whether it's by center, by division, by provider, and you'll get a line-by-line listing of every single note that is in some way incomplete. That's something that I absolutely had my own learning curve with as a new manager. And it was a quality indicator. When I assumed responsibility for my team, our unlocked profile report was long. (laughs) And the first thing that I really had to do was to educate my staff on the importance from a quality and integrity standpoint of making sure the documentation was timely and complete. And then as time went on, it shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. It never disappeared. That would not have been realistic. I had a large team. We cared for a large volume of patients. There was always a little something, but certainly my team got to know. It got to a point where people would leave me a voice message instead of the other way around and say, I know you're going to be pulling the report. This is what's (laughs) going on. I had a hard time uploading from home this morning. I'm on my way to the office. Or I did hear back from the doctor. I, at my next stop, I'm going to complete that note. Well, that speaks to an awareness, though. That's rather have that awareness and the commitment to follow through rather than, than a lack mm-hmm. thereof. Mm-hmm. I always like to try to wrap up our conversations by saying, okay, those are some, some big picture steps an organization can take, and, and they're important. What are some things somebody could do 
today, this afternoon, Mm -hmm. that could start to move in that direction. Absolutely. It's not particularly original, but it's fundamental to risk management. If you are not certain of your current state, you need to start with a risk assessment. Mm -hmm. That really is the only way to have a sense of your current status. So you would be, for example, maybe you know about the unlocked profile report and maybe you're very confident that it's current. Perhaps that then is an audit of older documentation. Or perhaps you know that you are okay but not thrilled with what seems to be a steady state of delayed or incomplete documentation. I think that's the point where you start to dive a little deeper on details and maybe it is a certain type of encounter or maybe it is a smaller number of providers or clinicians and maybe you need to work a little more with them on what can be done to make it more manageable. Sounds good. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Members of many ECRI Institute programs are able to ask questions like the ones we discussed in today's episode and get individual support. We publish many of these de-identified Q&As on our website so that other members can benefit from the responses. You can find more Q&As regarding medical record practices, including some available without login, like one regarding receiving unsolicited patient records on the ECRI Institute website at www.ecri.org. Be sure to subscribe to Smart Healthcare Safety on Spotify to get our latest episodes. We welcome your feedback. Please visit ecri.org slash podcasts or email us at ecri-podcasts at ecri.org.